You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 17 uh, and find verse 22. So Acts 17, and we'll start in verse 22. Uh, a couple of things while you're turning there. Uh, my name is Jamin Roller, and I am one of the pastors here at Citizens Church. I know that because of uh, the holidays. Thanksgiving was just a few days ago that maybe some of you are in town uh, because of the holidays and you're just visiting us with your family. And if that's you, uh, we are so thrilled that you are uh, here and, uh, and grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, there's a couple things that we'll do uh, that, that make the, this weekend unique. One is that this is the first Sunday of Advent. And so we uh, celebrate the season of Advent here at Citizens Church and kind of explaining the why behind that is, is what I'll do in the next 25 minutes or so. Uh, but it's also hitting at an interesting time in the calendar year. Uh, so usually there is a Sunday in between Thanksgiving and the first Sunday in December. Uh, but this year, this is December 1st. So it is the month of December, which is crazy, which means that some of this might feel a little bit jarring. In fact, uh, I was talking to some of you before service and I would say, hey, Merry Christmas. And you're just not ready for that yet. Like it doesn't feel time for that. So I get it, but the calendar dictates that we start Advent today, and so that's what we're doing. Also, we have a member meeting immediately after our service, which means our service this morning is shorter than usual. It didn't mean that during the 9, but I'm going to try to do better uh, this time during 11.15. If you missed us this last fall, our very first member meeting, uh, what that means is that we basically, all of our members will stay in here when the service ends, and we'll have a quick 15, 20-minute uh, meeting as uh, a people together. Acts 17, starting in verse uh, 22, I've got about 25 minutes this morning uh, to really set up the season of Advent in an Acts. It's not a traditional Christmas passage, if you will, but it'll help set up uh, our, our time together. So Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breadth and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring... We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is 
Advent. This Sunday marks the beginning of the season, uh, not just for Citizens Church, but for the church, capital C. So uh, believers all over the world are gathering and having a service similar to this, and maybe they decorated, or maybe they didn't, and maybe they did some of the Christmas songs, or maybe they didn't, but this is the season that we're entering into. And so if you've been with us from the beginning, from, from our very first day as a campus of the Village Church, which is what we were, what we used to be, uh, we have, and you've been here till, till today, this would be your sixth year to celebrate celebrate Advent. If you were at the village before Plano was a campus, probably longer than that. If you grew up in some sort of liturgical denomination, maybe it was like Episcopalian or Anglican, you may have been celebrating this uh, your whole life. And, And here's what it would be easy to do. It'd be easy to walk in and to miss the meaning behind what we're doing this month. It'd be easy to walk in and see the lights and to see the trees and then uh, to know like, oh, holy nights, like the most Christmas of Christmas Christian songs you can sing. And then uh, to have, have the verses read, like the verse in Isaiah that Andreas read. And it'd be easy to think that we are just as a church kind of getting into the holiday spirit, right? Like Legacy West, they have lights everywhere. Maybe your workplace is going to decorate or something. And then you come in here on a Sunday and it's just Christmas time. And so we're doing Christmas time type things. And that in and of itself is not bad. That's just not it. Uh, The meaning for us goes so much deeper than that. So I want to take my 20 minutes that I have this morning and just give the why behind Advent. Like, what are we hoping to accomplish here as a church? Why take an entire month uh, and theme all of the songs and the sermons and our gatherings around this idea? And, And here's why. Advent is a Latin word that just means arrival or coming. And so the church for almost 2,000 years have taken this month, the Sundays leading up to Christmas, uh, to say this about God, that, that God came in the birth of Jesus, that God took on flesh, he became a human, and he will come again. Advent is the arrival, and it's both his first and his second coming. And so what we're doing is we are uh, retelling that story that we are gathering together and saying we believe that the truest story in the world is the story that there is a God, that that God wrote himself into his own story in the birth of Jesus, God taking on human flesh. He lived, he died, he rose in victory over sin and death, he ascended, he is coming again. And that's the truest story in the world. And we are telling that story in a time and place where we as a people live among a lot of really false stories. So the reason we started with Acts 17 is because it gives us a picture of what we're trying to do in the season of Advent, what the church is doing in the season of Advent. It is rehearsing and retelling the true story of the world while also rejecting the false narratives that exist in the world. Paul goes into this city that has a lot of idols. He's in the Areopagus. He's surrounded by all these idols. And in the middle of all of that, he says, here's the true story of God. He's not made by human hands. Not only that, but he came and he took on flesh and he will come again to judge the world. And we know that to be true because Jesus rose again from the dead. But he didn't just tell that story. He rejected the false stories at the same time. Surrounding all of these people or all of these statues to all of these other gods and attached to every one of those idols is a story of where that God came from, where the world came from, what that God expects of you, what it looks like to live a life pleasing to that God. And there are these two movements that the people of God have done since Jesus was born. And those two movements are, here's the true story, and all those surrounding us are false. It'd be like this. Um, We went and saw Frozen 2 last week. By we, I mean my family, 
Carrie and I and the kids. That's not date night for Carrie and I. We do different things then. But uh, we took all the kids to Frozen 2. And uh, my middle child, she's six. Uh, anytime we go see a movie, especially in theaters, she loves to spend the next uh, 30 minutes to three weeks talking about the movie. And typically, she's asking questions about the movie. So she'll say, hey, what was y'all's favorite part? Which she doesn't actually care about. She just wants that to segue into her telling us her favorite part of the movie. Uh, But oftentimes what that leads into is her uh, starting to think critically about the movie and asking questions about like what's real and what's fake. Like she gets that it's a cartoon, she gets that parts of it are made up, but she'll ask us, right? And then it's our job as parents to help her as a six-year-old differentiate between what is real and what is fiction, right? We're not trying to crush her dreams. We wanted her to pretend. We're not trying to like, you know, drown out her imagination. But at some point we have to tell her these kinds of things are consistent with reality and these kinds of things aren't. So if she comes up and she's like, hey, mom and dad, is Arendelle real? We're not like, if you want it to be, right? It can be real in your heart. No, we're like, no, it's a, it's a fake place. Uh, do snowmen talk? No, they don't. Uh, do trolls exist? Like only on Twitter, right? But nowhere, nowhere else, right? More importantly, if she's like, dad, are there spirits in trees or spirits in water? It's like, no, there's one true God. He's a Trinitarian God. He's separate from his creation. There is not something of the divine in all of creation. I don't use those words to answer the question, but something like that explaining it to her. And that's the role of mom and dad in so many ways, bringing kids up surrounded by all these stories. Hey, here are the parts that are true. And here are the parts that are fake. The church, the people of God, every time we gather, we are doing something of that work together. Even in our normal, even when we're in the book of Colossians, every time we gather, we're doing something of the work of, okay, here's what we've heard that's fiction. It's not true. Here's a false narrative. The true story is the story of Jesus. During the Advent season, We turn the volume up on that to say, listen, we're being invited to enter into that story together as the true story of the world, while at the same time rejecting the false narratives that are around us. Here's what I need you to know for the next 15 minutes to mean anything. By false stories for us, I don't have in mind the false stories connected to other religions because I don't think that's our problem. I don't think that's what's most applicable to us, meaning I don't think it's like the false story behind Hinduism or behind Buddhism or something like that. What is more applicable to us is if we're Paul surveying the idols around us, surveying the stories that we're most affected by and we're most shaped by that are just so ingrained in the time and place and culture that we live in, the ones that we need to confront are more the ideologies of the Western world are more the things that are so ingrained in how we live, uh, we can easily get by in life without even knowing that they're the stories that we've believed in and bought into. So if in Advent, we're going to tell the true story of Jesus, he came, he will come again. And at the same time, confront the false stories of the world. It's just important to name what they are. So that's what I'm going to do. There are five that I will name in our time together. The first is the false story out of which all the false stories of the Western world grow, and it's the story of secularism. The story goes like this. All there is is all I can see, or at least all that I can be confident in is all I can see. All I can really believe in with any honesty, intellectual honesty, is what I can see. And so um, when it comes to things that are immaterial, when it comes to the idea of transcendence, 
uh, a supernatural being, something that was before me and something that will be after me. I am at the best a skeptic. And that's a change in human history. If you pay attention to, uh, to human history, right, it used to be the default position was belief in transcendence and belief in something larger than me that was before me and will be after me. And that script has flipped. And now the default position is to outright reject that there is anything beyond what we can see, uh, or at the very least to be skeptical about everything except my right to be skeptical about everything. And so here's, here's the reality. By secular, I don't mean uh, people who aren't Christian. That's not how I'm using the word. I don't mean it the way that maybe you're, if you grew up in church, the way that your youth pastor talked about secular music versus Christian music, right? Don't listen to secular. Here's a Newsboy CD or, or Creed if they were really edgy or something like that, right? So I, I don't mean that. What I mean is this is the age that we live in. This is the story that we uh, exist in. And so for a non-believer, the story of secularism manifests as just an outright rejection of the existence of God or gods or something supernatural. But I need you to know, for the believer, it is a story that is so, has so permeated the culture we live in, the way it manifests for an, a believer is a passive rejection of the existence of God. Not with our words, but um, to go through whole days of our lives, to go through whole weeks, to go through whole months without talking to God, without communing with God, to, um, to, not, to live a life where we don't factor in how we live, that there is an omnipotent, omnipresent spiritual being who happens to be good and holy and true and happens to care that we interact with him moment by moment and to ignore that or to live a, just a passive rejection that that God is actually uh, informing our reality. He's not distant like some watchmaker who made a watch and then just lets it run, but he's, he's present. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't think that for the believer, it's that we deny transcendent beings it's not that we deny the supernatural. It's not that we deny God's existence. But in this age that we live, because of the secular story, because the story is that unbelief is actually what's believable, and belief is laughable or mockable or at the very least untenable, we are then given over to so much doubt and to so much skepticism just as a default position of how we think about God in the world. And then as Christians, I just don't really know what to do with my doubt or what to do with my skepticism. And so instead of being honest about that before the transcendent God, it is much easier for me to give, be given over to distraction and control because it's easier than honesty and it's easier than grappling. Look, uh, to that story, to that false narrative the story of Advent just comes in and says not only is there a God who's transcendent, but that transcendent God is also imminent. That transcendent God uh, wrapped himself in flesh and he entered into the world and he is near and he is close. And guess what? He can show patience and grace to you, whoever you are, even if your life is overwhelmed with doubt and skepticism. It's a better story. And then here's, here's the, the turn that we need to make. Uh, because secularism is the story that, that just is the, the foundation upon which our society thinks and the ideologies, that out of that, we turn to these other stories to find meaning. 
Humanity used to find meaning in the fact that there were these uh, beings, whether it's Jews who believed in one true God or pagans who believed in lots of gods. We found meaning in this idea that there's something bigger than me and there's a purpose for my existence. Well, secularism eats away at that, deteriorates that like cancer cells in the body. And so then we are left to try to create our own meaning and to create a world where we are finding meaning for ourselves. And we have turned to a few different stories to find that meaning. One story is the story of individualism. And the story goes like this. What's right with my life is me and my desires and my wants. What is wrong with my life is anything that would put a constraint on that. What's wrong with my life is anything that would limit the things that I want or the place I want to be or who I want to become. And so I will find meaning in life by breaking free of those constraints and by being loosed of those limits. And so I, uh, don't tell me who I can and can't sleep with or when I can and can't sleep with them. Don't tell me who I can and can't love. Don't tell me how I can and can't identify. Don't tell me how I can and can't spend my money or how I should or shouldn't vote, right? Like even what makes a sermon like this uncomfortable is to a room of us who have grown up in these stories, who have grown up in the story of individualism, this ends this morning with me saying what I already said, that all these stories are untrue and there's only one real true story of the world and that's the story of Jesus, In a story like this, in a climate like this, you're just not supposed to say things that are that close-minded. You're not supposed to say things that are that narrow. You're not supposed to say things uh, that call individuals to conform to a reality that confronts our desires. You're supposed to call individuals to conform to a reality where those things get to be unleashed and we get to be whoever we want to be. And if people have a problem with that, then they're just a hater and they're judging me and I need to go somewhere where I can be really free. It calls us to embrace and to submit to limits. And it's just an uncomfortable, risky thing to say in a world that's given over to this story. But here's what we know. Unpopular and untrue are not the same thing. They're not. And and here's where Jesus tells the better story. Jesus models for us what it means to be a true individual. Jesus, Jesus models what true individualism looks like. And what that means is it's not being limitless. He left heaven to come to earth. He left heaven to take on the limits of earth and take on the limits of humanity and the limits of death because true freedom is found when we, in love, uh, obey God and we choose the right limits that obey God and others flourish. That's a better story. That's the Advent story. That's the Jesus story. The other story we turn to for meaning is the story of consumerism. And here's how the story goes. What's wrong with my life is what I lack. Uh, what's wrong with my life is what I don't possess in my life. And so more stuff equals less anxiety. Uh, more stuff equals less emptiness. More stuff equals more meaning and more satisfaction. And, and look, I know maybe you saw this one coming. This one is the easiest to critique and probably the hardest one to stop believing. Uh, I don't know if you've asked your kids yet what they want for Christmas. If you have, if you've asked your kids what they want for Christmas, has anyone gotten this answer? I'm good. I'm fine. You know, mom and dad, I actually am really content still with what you gave me last year for Christmas. Like those gadgets, those toys, they're just still really satisfying my soul, right? No, 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 no. That ended 45 minutes after Christmas last year, right? And it's not just a kid problem. Carrie asked me, she said, Jamin, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I want the new AirPods. And she asked me a a really judgmental question. She said, don't you already have AirPods? And I'm like, no, 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 you didn't hear me. I want the new AirPods. 
And then I start trying to, to justify why I need them. I'm like, you know, mine are old. They don't really work as well anymore. The new ones are noise canceling. And sometimes I'm trying to study at the house and your kids are just really loud, right? And so that's, that's me trying to justify that. And so hear me, it's fine. I, I get it. Like I love gift giving, love gift receiving. And that's not, that's not my point. I'm not trying to bah humbug Christmas or anything like that. But you and I both know that there is a story behind all of that. There is a story behind the consumerism um, that, that the buying and the getting and the accumulating, it tells the story that the things you get, what you consume, it comes with a promise of satisfaction that it just can't deliver. Like you, you don't have to pay very close attention to see that behind all the messaging that surrounds us in any given day. About a month ago, Ash and I are watching a football game commercial comes on and the commercial is a car driving through the, the mountains. It's driving on this winding road through the mountains. It's this beautiful car and there's this voice uh, that's saying things like, you know, adventure and respect and all this. And it's just winding. And then finally it gets to this, this cheesy punchline where it says, uh, the journey of life is all about what you take with you on the journey. Lexus. And it wants you to, to buy the car. And Asher, after the commercial, he goes, oh my gosh. <laughs> And he looks at me and he goes, Dad, why don't we have a Lexus? <laughs> and I was like, but it's, it's just complicated why we don't have a Lexus. But I mean, in those moments, right, it's, there's, a, there's a, maybe we're able to overtly say, okay, that's, that's advertising or that's whatever. But in reality, it's like how many times do we, in our anxiety or in our emptiness, think, gosh, there's just more that I need with me for the journey to make the journey matter, to make it meaningful, right? And the reality is this, that, that it's why uh, that, that story that says we will find meaning and find mattering in what we get and what we possess, it continues to fail, and yet even in continuing to fail, it's still as strong as it ever was. It, it's why, after all the consuming of the Christmas season, what comes right after that? New Year's resolutions. Because after all the indulging, like after it didn't do for me what I needed it to do, now I'm going to resolve to be better and turn to some sort of different story. And that's how it works because it's so cyclical. There's another story. It's the story of nationalism. Uh, and it's the story that goes like this. What is wrong is the country. What's wrong is the nation. What's wrong is the leadership. Uh, that I, and, and, and the country that I live in is not what it was or the country I live in is not what it should be, Right. And if we can just get the right people in or just get the, the wrong people out, then that will fix the world or that will at least fix my world. Now, look, I'm not going to pick a fight. It is righteous for the people of God to engage politically in ways that are wise and reflect the heart of God. It is. But a healthy America is not the hope for the world. As wonderful as she is, as beautiful as she is, she will fade. She's not eternal. And what will give way in that fading is a king and a kingdom that will last forever. And that's made up of, of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that king who came will come again. And when he does, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And every politician or every king or every governor will lay their crown and their authority at his feet. And that's a better story. That is a better story. The last one is the story of progressivism, and it's just that we will keep, keep progressing as a people, that we will keep evolving into some sort of golden age. And the idea is this, the longer humanity is around, the better things will get. Anybody want to defend that one? Like, may, maybe things have advanced, but hearts haven't changed the longer we've been around. So, so hear me. Uh, these are false stories. 
They're false. These are stories about the world that are going after your heart and after my, 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 after my heart and after your mind and after my mind, and, it's, and they're false, and they're not true. The true story of the world is the story of Jesus. And it's like, okay, got it. I, I don't think it's a hard sell for this room. I don't think it needs much convincing for this room to agree with that. But hear me, and here's the point. That doesn't mean the work is done. These stories, being able to identify them, being able to acknowledge that they're false, does not mean that we're not still shaped by them. They are more caught than they are taught. Like these are the things that are just so ingrained in where we live, right? It's not that someone wakes up and says, consumerism? Yeah, that sounds lovely. I'll do that. It's not that someone wakes up and says, okay, secularism, this doesn't mean anything. It's going nowhere. Uh, sign me up, right? It's just, it's different than that. We went to a museum about a year ago with, with our kids and they wanted to watch this 3D documentary about dinosaurs, and so they all go into the theater, and I was running behind, and so I come in and I grab these, what I think are 3D glasses off of the table, and I sit down, and the movie about dinosaurs starts, and everything is just blurry, and everything's super distorted, and it didn't take me long to realize that I had grabbed the wrong pair of glasses. And so I, but that wasn't enough. To acknowledge it wasn't enough. I, I had to, in that moment, I had to get up, I had to leave the theater, I had to grab the right pair and come back on. And when I had the right lenses, then I could see clearly. And I think that so many of us think that because we know in our head what is true and what's not, because we can watch the commercial or we can engage in the conversation and we know which story is the true story of the world, I think we think that that's enough when in reality so many are still sitting in the view of things is so blurry and distorted. It requires action. It requires the intentionality of over and again surrounding ourselves with the things that will clear the lenses, that will take off the lenses of the false stories and put on the lenses of the story of Jesus. Dallas Willard gives a harsh warning when he says this. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right in the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it reality. Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> For most of us, here's what that means. It means that there are these stories that are false, and I know that's not what the world's about, and I know it doesn't, that it doesn't lead to significance and flourishing, but it's just not enough to acknowledge it if there are not things in my life, mechanisms in my life, practices in my life that will turn and shape and change the way I see the world from the false stories to the true story. And if there's not an intentionality, there will be no change. Okay, what does that look like? What do I do? Where do I start? This. And that's not cheap. I mean it. This. Being here. What we're doing. The, the moment that you walked in, we have been telling and rehearsing and singing about the better story. From the moment you walked in the doors, 
been telling, the, inviting one another in through song, through listening. We're about to do it with communion and response by rehearsing and reorienting our life around the better story, rejecting the false stories. I don't know if you sang the first song, but if you did, then here are the words that you sang. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. There, there is no other story that can deliver on that promise. And you saying that, not just, not just because of tradition, not just because it's familiar, but because what we're trying to do is we're trying to curb and orient our hearts to remind ourselves there's nothing out there that's going to bring that kind of freedom but the Advent story, but the he came, he will come again story. And then from there, we went into songs about waiting. And Andreas read from Isaiah talking about Jesus' first coming and then read from 1 Thessalonians that he will come again. And then he lit a candle as a symbol that more than I need stuff for all of us, more than I need freedom from constraints, more than I need to move up in life and progress in life. I need Jesus, the light of the world. Give me those lenses, God. As we gather together, give us the lenses of Christ that we would see all of our life through the true story. Give us the lenses of a God who made the world and loves you so much he enters into the world, writes himself into the story so that he can be with you. Give me the lenses of Jesus who dies and raises again, who will return in triumph, bringing peace, who promises that he's with me and with you even to the end of the age. That's the true story. And as we gather over and again, as we come together, the hope is that what happens is, is we slowly begin to be shaped by the true story. Our lives begin to be changed. So look, it's not a secret. This is what we do every time we gather. But during seasons, during the church seasons, especially Advent, we turn the volume up on that because what we're saying to one another is even if we've heard it, even if we've known it, we need to be reminded of it. We need to be invited into it. We need to be reoriented around it. And then hear me, I'm not naive. We only get to do this once a week for about 80 minutes. And it's not enough. And for some, depending on stage of life or, or, or where you're at, for some, it's twice a month for 80 minutes or maybe once a month for 80 minutes. And it's not, it's not enough. It's, it's why uh, if, if I had another five minutes, we would, I would contend with you that you need beyond Sunday morning practices in your life, mechanisms in your life that reorient you from the false stories to the true story. It's why in between the 9 and 11, 15, I got with Andreas who runs our groups and we work on a group's guide so that when you meet with your home group, you can talk about this and you can orient around this. And so I, I know that it needs to be more than that. If you don't, families or, or whoever you are, if you don't have some sort of plan, like an Advent guide or some way that you're going to celebrate this with the people you live with and with your family, we have resources that we want to gift you because we care about this this much. But even if that never happens, my commitment to you and our commitment together is that when we do gather, this is what we're going to do. This is what's true. This is what actually shapes you. This is what actually meets you where you are and is consistent with reality. And if we pay attention and are honest before God, slowly the lenses just change and become clearer. And we see righteously the way that God sees. Here are my hopes. I'm out of time. If I had five more minutes, here's what I'd say. Um, our hopes are this, that 
by orienting around the right story, it's going to come out in our lives in two ways. This is where we'll go next Sunday when we look at the life of Simeon. Uh, that it's going to cultivate in our lives a holy discontentment, not, a, not an unrighteous discontentment rooted in, in the world not being the way we want the world, but a holy discontentment that we can look around at the world, stave off the pool to be satisfied in things that don't satisfy, and we are wholly discontented that the world is not yet how God will make it, and it will also, also cultivate in us a hopeful waiting. Here's what I know. I know that for many in the room, Advent this year is going to land differently than it has in years past. That Advent this year is going to, the true story of the world is going to meet you with honesty and comfort at a time in your story where you need the reminder that Jesus came and is coming again. Like I just, let me say it this way, I don't know what the story of secularism and consumerism and individualism, I don't know what that offers to those of you who are going to celebrate Christmas for the first time this year without mom or we'll celebrate Christmas for the first time without dad, or you're gonna celebrate Christmas once again with the, with the, with the child, uh, without the child that you've wanted for so long, or without the family that you wanted for so long, or you're, you're, you're celebrating Christmas at a time when your marriage is just in the worst shape as it's ever been, and that's happening. I, I don't know what the false stories offer you, but I know this, I know that the Advent story, the Christmas story, Advent does not say all is well. Advent says one day all will be made right. And you can enter into that story. That story will meet you with raw honesty as you're struggling and as you're wrestling and as you're in here and you feel like maybe everyone else is celebrating and you're not. Enter the story of Jesus. I don't know what more stuff will do for you in that. I don't know what progress is going to do for you, for you in that, but I know this. I know what the God of the universe will do. He will be present with you. Just ask the manger. Just ask, just, that's what we're, we're orienting around, that we believe in a transcendent God who descended in love, to meet us in our hurt and to meet us in our doubt, who we are also still waiting for to complete what he started. It's the story that we're going to tell over and over and over again. Father, we love you and we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that you descended in love for us, that because of your kindness to us and because of who you are and your mercy, that you are the kind of God that does not uh, leave us in the dark, but you come bringing the light of the world to spread, to first meet us and to take our, our hearts that are dark and to, and to bring them to life, and we thank you for that. I pray, God, that as I just think about this church family that's just so special to me, that I'm so committed to being a part of, to loving, to being a brother to these who are my brothers and sisters. Just pray that you, what you would do, our, our first really Advent together as citizens. I pray that you would just cultivate in us not just the ability to see what is true, but even a desire and an eager longing to be a part of what you're doing, God. Would you meet us in that? We love you. Let me pray. Amen.